Hello and welcome to the Futures podcast from the Futures team here at Birkbeck, University of London. In this podcast, we'll be chatting with industry leaders and top UK employers to hear their advice, uncover what they look for when hiring and share their experiences of their own personal career journey. We hope you enjoy the show. Today we're really excited to be welcoming a alumnus, Mo Jamai, who is now a manager at PwC, working in the global fiscal policy team. So welcome, Mo. Thank you. Do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about your journey and how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my parents actually moved to the UK about 20 years ago. Um, we lived in Yorkshire for, I've lived in Yorkshire for the majority of my life actually, moved to London a few years ago, but from a fairly early age I knew I loved numbers. Mm-hmm. So I started off my first business selling, uh, buying and selling games on eBay at the, uh, at the age of 14. <laughs> That's when I first got exposed to spreadsheets as well. Um, so from a fairly early age I knew I liked numbers and my dad convinced me to study economics. So I studied economics at Sheffield University. Um, and after I did that I was fortunate enough to get a job in the civil service. So I was an economist uh, at the Treasury, mm-hmm. and I worked on housing policy, uh, so there were a few policies that I worked on that got a fair bit of coverage of the media, none of it good, um, and two years after that I moved to a trade association, Okay. Uh, and the trade association has members, so we worked on behalf of our members to help government shape policy, so it was moving to the other side of the fence, as it were. Um, and at the time, I was really keen to study or continue my studies. So I'd, I'd only done a, an undergraduate at Sheffield mm-hmm. University. So I applied and was lucky enough to be accepted uh, to study a master's at Birkbeck. And at the time, I had a, I just bought a house, so I had a mortgage, and I couldn't afford to study full time. So I chose to study part time. Mm-hmm. And Birkbeck was one of the few universities that allowed you to have evening courses, which was fantastic. Um, and I managed to complete my master's while still working full-time um, and as a result of that um, when I was looking for, for jobs I saw that pretty much all consultancy jobs required a master's yeah so uh, the, the fact that I had a master's op- opened that door and uh, just over a year ago I moved to PwC to mm-hmm. work in the global fiscal policy advisory team um, and it wouldn't have been possible if I didn't have um, if I didn't have that master's and uh, I was fortunate enough to have been fortunate enough to work on a sort of number of projects that have allowed me to apply what I've learned, mm-hmm. um, both uh, in terms of the, the sort of fiscal policy angle, but also a lot of what I learned at uh, uh, sort of economics um, at, at master's level. Because I found that while at undergraduate level you learn a lot about the foundations, at master's level it really you really build on that. It actually, lets you develop to apply it to the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I've been one of the few people who've been lucky enough to apply what I've learned. Yeah, definitely. Um, rather than sort of take a change in career and, and do something completely different. Um, so that's that's yeah. So that that's that's me. Great. So how how did you um, get into PwC? I actually applied for a different role in the economics okay. team then, and um, the role that I had applied for, I met with the chief economist and. It went really well, and they ended up not recruiting for that role. That role was um, it was sort of abolished, and they liked my CV enough to pass me on to a different team that mm-hmm. was at the time still fairly small. Um, so I moved on to that team, um, and I interviewed with the director, and I got offered a job within a few weeks. And it was something that I hadn't thought about doing in the past, mm-hmm. um, and. 
but it sounded really interesting. It yeah. was around sort of uh, working on policy, so it was similar to some of the work I'd done when I was in the civil service, but mm-hmm. from a, a sort of private sector perspective, uh, more about consulting, developing and developed countries rather than just focusing on any specific government. Mm-hmm. So um, it was yeah something that I'd never, I didn't even know this team existed. Um, and I accepted the job and I moved, um, I started there just over a year ago, as I said. So do you feel like you get to use a nice mix of your previous experience and your studies? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, we use a, the economic theory comes into it, but mm-hmm. the, the experience from previous jobs of real world applications, trying to be yeah. a bit pragmatic about how we apply it and the limitations that certain governments have within um, sort of the, the political and economic mm-hmm. limitations. It's a good mixture of both. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of variety in the work, so that's something that I have a little bit of a low boredom threshold. So it's quite nice to be able to <laughs> move from one thing to another uh, after you finish a project. Mm. Um, so I sort of often people say, "Oh, no two days are the same in a, in, in 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 a job." I think really this has been the case uh, in my in my time at PwC. Mm. I've never really had sort of two days that have been that similar. It's always either trying to win work, trying to deliver work. Mm-hmm. doing presentations or even coming in this morning to do a, a, a podcast <laughs> so it is it really is quite varied yeah I guess that's good because that means you're always learning oh absolutely always doing something different absolutely and that was one of the the things that um when I started my master's that I didn't appreciate enough that mm-hmm. just how much I enjoyed learning so when it was actually over it was a relief that I played <laughs> the master's but at the same time there was that you missed it there was a whole yeah there that it, it meant that I wasn't uh, learning that much yeah um, and actually starting a job where you are constantly working on new new things, new projects, just means that it, it's sort of it's quite enriching. Yeah. Did you did you feel like you faced any challenges kind of during um, your search process or in the initial stages of you being at PwC? No, absolutely. I think the the main challenge actually was that the the pace of work was so different. Mm-hmm. And in my previous jobs, it was working on a specific sector, looking at specific issues. Whereas here you had a broad remit, you could go explore, do things that you wanted to or that you were good at that Mm -hmm. would bring the firm revenue. So I think the first couple of months were tough. Um, Just trying to switch from being, you know, looking at one sector to being a bit more flexible, a bit more agile, Mm -hmm. and really just applying problem-solving skills to to anything that came up. Um, I think... That's one of the things of being a consultant is just having that flexibility and being open to learning new things yeah. in a, in a sort of time-pressured environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was why the first, I guess, up to about six months was quite challenging. But as a result of that, I've now learned that I'm capable of far more than I thought I was. Um, and it has really been quite uh, exciting, actually. I haven't used that word to describe my <laughs> job in a while. Uh, but it's really exciting to be able to learn new areas mm-hmm. and um, learn about different countries, different cultures, different areas of uh, economics and tax. Mm-hmm. So in, in that sense, it's been a challenge, but it's been really rewarding in the uh, in the sort of months that have followed. Mm-hmm. A good challenge that's paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you Would you have done anything differently um, throughout your job process, or would you have done anything differently when you started at PwC? Is there anything that you wish you wish you'd done as as well? Or I think. Um, Probably just learning a bit more about the culture mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a 
consultancy. Um, I didn't really know that much about what to expect. And I had a few friends who had actually worked at some of the big four. Mm-hmm. And I think if I could do it again, I would just have talked to them a bit more, just, just so I know what to expect when I turn up on that first day. Yeah, I think culture is something that's overlooked quite a lot. People look at a company name and they look at the job role and yeah. that's what excites them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you actually have to be motivated in the culture that you're working in and enjoy being in that culture. Absolutely, and if the culture doesn't fit, then it, as much as you might love the job, it, yeah. it's quite difficult to, mm-hmm. to, to be able to enjoy it. So, yeah, that was... I mean, thankfully, actually, our team is, um, has quite a family feel to it. Mm-hmm. And PwC generally has... It's quite a competitive environment, but it's also a very collaborative environment. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the other things I learned, was that I hadn't really worked with too many people in a, in a, on a project or mm-hmm. in, as, as part of a team, and... Uh, PwC is essential, it's sort of critical to success to bring in people as and when required and have different expertise and often you get the job done in half the time if you just know mm. to talk to people. So um, I think that's one aspect of the culture that I, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And the other aspect is that people are generally actually very friendly, despite what people think when they look in from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very friendly uh, atmosphere and the people there are you know, very driven, very sort of high achievers. Um, but at the same time, they're also willing to make the time to, to sort of help you out mm-hmm. if you've got any questions, any, any queries. And I think that really helps the firm grow and be, be quite strong in, mm-hmm. in, in terms of what it does. And I guess that's something that you really want when you finish studying, so that you've still got that support network around you, so that you do continue learning and you've got all those people to network with and bounce off. And... Absolutely. And it's both, I mean, the network that I built up at Birkbeck from other students has been quite helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, now a few of those have moved on to consultancy jobs as well so it's quite nice to be able to catch up with them and sort mm. of exchange stories uh, the network you build up at, in a firm like PwC given that it's almost a quarter of a million people worldwide in wow. 150 different countries mm-hmm. so it's, it's huge I mean um, it, you, you sort of you, you think there are many areas that you think you can, can possibly have anyone that works in this field and often you come across mm-hmm. people that do um, and it's just slowly building up that network that you can draw on for uh, sort of projects, proposals, or other work that you do that, that is really mm-hmm. very valuable. Do you travel much globally with the company, or do you spend most of your time in London? So the majority of the time is spent in London. There is, depending on projects, we do get to travel. So mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to go to the Middle East and Central Asia on a few projects, um, and I'm going back out there in a few weeks as well. And it really does add another dimension to the mm. to the work to actually see the the work that you're doing making a difference in some of these countries. Mm. Um, and we get to talk to government officials, we get to talk to private sector, different stakeholders, understand what their views are and some of the work we've done. And it really helps us rather than just being sat in London doing the work. It really helps add another dimension mm. to the work to make it really relevant to some of these countries. Did you? Kind of right from the start when you started at PwC, were you given that responsibility to talk with senior stakeholders quite early on or was that something that was built up? I think the, the good thing about uh, PwC and in, I think in particular our team is that um, the, there's not much of a hierarchy, so it's quite mm-hmm. flat. So if you are someone who shows from the, from the start that you are capable and a safe pair of hands, then you will be given more and more responsibility. Uh, so from the start, we did I uh, did get to talk to different stakeholders, um, both sort of senior and, and, and at my level, mm-hmm. and um, it, it, yeah, it's it's one of those things that 
Uh, it takes a little bit of time to prove yourself, but once you've done that, you do really get given a lot of responsibility. Um, and you are, you do feel like you're actually responsible for the direction of uh, where the team is going and, mm-hmm. and where the firm is going, which I think is very empowering. Yeah, it's good to have that responsibility and feel like you're actually making a contribution and uh, making a absolutely, difference. Yeah. So I guess you're now on the other side of the table. Yeah. You're no longer a student looking for work, yeah. um, and instead you're actually involved with the recruitment process. Yeah. So now you're on the other side. Yeah. What What do you look for? So our, our team's quite diverse. Mm-hmm. So we're we're a team of people who have done economics, tax, audit, uh, international relations. You, you name it, we have it in our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we really look for is um, students who have a genuine interest in the area of work that we do. Uh, so we, we find it to be actually very sort of, uh, beneficial to students when they've done a bit of research on the team. You know, mm-hmm. We have a, a website, we, we say a lot of what we do on there as well. Um, and actually then there are some more basic things around just having a, a cover letter and CV that A, address the right firm. We've come across this a few times now. <laughs> um, and it's bad for students to fall over at that first time. Yeah. And one that's been um, uh, checked for grammatical and spelling mistakes. And there are things like that that I mean some students don't even make it to the interview stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so just getting those basics right is really important. Mm-hmm. So having a genuine interest, knowing what our team does... And then yeah, being able to get right the, the CV and mm-hmm. um, the, the cover letter. I mean, we're not a, a, a firm that looks at any particular university with any preference. We're very open to uh, students from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, just being able to get those basics right, getting your foot in the door for an interview where you can then really shine is really important. Mm-hmm. So when you say somebody with a genuine interest, how would you expect them to show that on their CV? So I think... Uh, when we when we look at CVs and cover letters, I mean, on, especially on the cover letter, it's just important to at least talk about some of the work that we've done and why mm-hmm. students find it interesting. Okay. Uh, and it might be a personal story. It might be something that they've read about. Doesn't necessarily have to go into that much detail. Mm-hmm. It's just to show that they have a, a, a they've done they've taken the time to to do a little bit of research on on our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that really compared to other students that haven't perhaps done that and have a more generic cover letter, it really puts them. Uh, in an advantageous position. Mm-hmm. So a tailored CV Absolutely. is a big tick. Absolutely. Is there anything that you don't want to see on a CV? There's not really much that we rule out on a CV, mm-hmm. I think. Um, as long as students are fairly honest about what they've done. Mm-hmm. I mean, we ask students to run through their CV interview stage. Okay. And there might be points that we're interested to dig into a little bit deeper. So I think just being very honest on a, on a mm-hmm. CV... Um, and being honest about your achievements is, is is something that's really important because mm-hmm. I think the last thing you want is for an interviewer to pick up on one or two points that perhaps you might have exaggerated or, 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 or you know um, yeah not been totally truthful about mm-hmm. and that can be a, one of the pitfalls that people often experience at, in, at interview stage. Mm-hmm. I guess actually knowing their CV inside out as well if people haven't. A- updated their previous roles for a couple of years yeah absolutely and and we do ask them to bring their cv to life because Mm -hmm. what's written on paper compared to what people have done in in their work day to day you know people spend a couple of years in a a role it's very hard to capture in a few sentences Mm -hmm. so we ask them to sort of bring that to life and um it's yeah it's 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 really important to to know what's on the Mm -hmm. cv and, and have read it maybe the, the night before the interview or just ha- have a good awareness of what's on there mm-hmm. what would you um, say to somebody who was having a career change so they've got no experience 
direct experience yeah. to kind of what you do in your team, but they've got a genuine interest in it. Maybe they're studying um, a master's in a relatable topic. Yeah. What would you, what would be your tips? I mean, I would say that they should absolutely apply. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, it's just important if you want to have a changing career to be fairly honest about that. Um, and I think there are a lot of skills that people pick up in different roles and different careers mm-hmm. that are transferable and people often underestimate that. So you should really think about some of the skills that you've learned, whether they're soft skills, whether they're even things like just learning to do, um, like working with Microsoft Office or mm-hmm. with different programs. Just really trying to bring some of those to life a little bit more. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's perfectly okay for people to say, I want to change in career, but I have a genuine interest. I've read about this topic. I understand sort of fiscal issues or tax issues. I can think about it in, 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 in the sense... Um, in an economic uh, way and, and, and have that just reasoning mm-hmm. um, and I think as I said like the, the problem solving aspect is crucial in our team so if someone can try and bring some of those things through they should I mean they will make it to interview study yeah. and at that point they can be again they can be totally honest about the fact that they might not have much experience but they're willing to learn mm-hmm. and what we want in, in our team is not people who have spent 10, 15, 20 years in, in uh, working on fiscal policy issues it could be that they've worked in a in a role that's um, not even similar. I mean, we recruit people from retail backgrounds, from um, sort of working quite heavily in finance, mm-hmm. and have not had much exposure to what our team does. But it's just having that skill set and having that flexibility mm-hmm. that we often uh, sort of value above all else. And I guess as long as they have that interest and they're eager to learn then everything else can kind of fall into place. Absolutely. I mean, I think at, at, at the interview stage, what we really like to see um, is people bringing through some sort of examples of mm-hmm. some of the work they've done. Um, and again, this is sort of quite basic, but just using the STAR approach, so mm-hmm. situation, task, action, results, I think that really drives home the, the, the role that someone has had to play in different situations mm-hmm. um, and the results that they've helped bring about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because half of the interviews are just competency-based questions and using that approach is, is crucial. And again, that's one of the areas where people fall over is um, not really being able to uh, answer the questions mm-hmm. that we put to them in any great detail because they haven't followed that approach. Mm-hmm. And students that do follow that approach, I mean, their responses are a very, it's very clear what their role was in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, it's very easy for us to then take that away and... So when we compare them to other candidates, they, they are the ones who mm-hmm. uh, really shine through. Mm-hmm. Um, and some students get a little bit muddled up in, when they're trying to talk about it. And I think it's just, it's again, like I say, very basic, but incredibly important at interview mm. stage. I feel like it's very common. A lot of candidates will have their experience of working on certain projects yeah. or relevant experience, but they just don't articulate it well enough. Exactly. And I think, I mean, the other, the other I guess, misconception is that when you interview where, you know, we as interviewers are trying to catch the person being interviewed out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not the case at all. We're, what we're really trying to do is get as much out of them as possible. Mm-hmm. So for every competency question, we have a bunch of uh, probing questions to just try okay. and get out as much information so mm-hmm. that candidates do as well as possible when we take away our notes and, and compare them to mm-hmm. other candidates. And I think that's, that's, that's also, yeah, just, just being able to, to keep that in mind hopefully put students at ease a little bit when they come to interview, mm-hmm. but also should just 
give them a bit of comfort that we are on their side and we really do mm-hmm. want them to do well. I guess it's for you to actually understand in detail because I feel like sometimes a candidate will talk through their experience remembering that they know everything about it. Yeah. But it's actually for you to understand it as somebody that may have no idea what they're actually talking about. Absolutely. And there are candidates who come to us with having worked in a very different industry mm. to what to what we know. And again, for them, they might skip over some small details that might be insignificant to them, but crucial to us to understand, mm-hmm. A, what they did, and B, what their sort of role was and, and how they mm-hmm. helped contribute to a project uh, or the, the objectives of a firm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just about sort of walking us through some of the things they've done and, and not missing some of those details. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds, again, a very basic point, but Important. incredibly helpful when we're jotting down mm-hmm. notes to take away and compare with other, other candidates. So you said that half of your interview process is competency-based questions. Yeah. What's the other half? What does that tend to be? So the other half tends to be some questions that are more related to our team. Okay. So perhaps we'll ask students to walk us through an issue that relates to our team and they get to pick from, from a range. Mm-hmm. So it could be something around something they read about in the news, it could be like fiscal reforms in a certain country, and we let them talk us through that. Mm-hmm. So we understand their thought process around... Um, just well, their thought process generally, but more more so around fiscal policy issues mm-hmm. or like economic issues. Um, and we also then ask students to try and bring their CV to life a bit, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So that, that typically takes sort of five to ten minutes. We might ask a few questions on that, move to some questions that relate to, to our team mm-hmm. around what really drives them and interests them to work in our team, what they know about our team, and then one or two questions that specifically relate to something that they have some knowledge on. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the interview will be around the competency-based questions, as I mentioned earlier. So when, um, I guess this is one of the things that candidates quite often um, struggle to prepare for, at the end, when you turn it around on them and say, have you got any questions for us, what kind of things do you like to hear? What's a good sign for you? Um, there isn't, I mean, there are very few bad questions to ask when, when you're in that position. Mm-hmm. I think um, students often ask us, what projects we've worked on and how much of that is sort of quantitative, how much of it is qualitative. Some students might enjoy numbers, some enjoy words more. Mm-hmm. And just questions like that, which again show to us that uh, students have a genuine interest in learning more about what the team does. Sometimes they ask us about um, like what the team's, how the, the team composition, so mm-hmm. who works in what positions. They ask us actually often about travel. That's okay. one of the questions that get asked uh, when they apply and mm-hmm. what how much they're willing to travel. Um, and then there are some questions about the firm uh, and the firm's sort of values, especially in terms of sustainability. I think mm-hmm. the firm's very big on that. And again, that shows that they've done a bit of research. Um, and I think, yeah, generally, then one of the last questions they ask, and one of the things that we finish on is just the next steps. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's perfectly reasonable. Uh, if a student has perhaps other um, offers or they just they are keen to know how long yeah. before they, they hear back. They're all perfectly acceptable mm-hmm. answers that show a genuine interest in, in wanting uh, to learn more about the team, more about the firm and, and just knowing where the process will end up. Did you, do you remember what you asked? It seems like a long time ago. It was <laughs> a while ago. Um, I think, I mean, I asked about how the team it came to be, what, what the team... Uh, the team was fairly new when you were interviewing, I'm presuming. So the team was about, f- it's four years old. Okay. Um, but it was it was fairly small, there was six, seven people at, mm-hmm. at the time. And now it's grown to over double that. I think we're going to be you know, tripling the, the team size compared to when I joined uh, in a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more around that. And then just about, again, I asked about travel, because uh, that was one of the things that was asked, that 
application stage and just a bit more about people's backgrounds, what they enjoy about the job, um, what they perhaps don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. These are all fair, you know. Yeah, always like that question. And, and we try and be as honest as possible when, we're, when we get asked those questions mm-hmm. because you don't want people to join the team expecting something else uh, to, to what they were told at interview stage or what they thought before when they applied. Mm-hmm. So there's, there was, yeah, I think I asked questions along the lines of what I mentioned that we like to hear. So mm. I was, yeah, perhaps quite vanilla in my approach as well. <laughs> Good to know, though, because I always think that's one of the hardest things to prepare because you don't want to ask really generic questions. Yeah. You want to ask something that actually shows that you've done some research and that you are really enthusiastic about the role and finding out more. Yeah, absolutely. So lastly... Um, if you could go back in time or if you could speak to every Betbeck student at the moment, yeah. what, what would you say? What would be your word of advice? Um, yeah, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> um, so I think I'm mean, now tell them to try and enjoy the experience. Um, so going back to university was quite hard for me, given that I, sort of my, when I finished my undergrad, it was, it was a good four or five years mm-hmm. before I sort of went back into to education. And for the first year, it was quite tough because... I was juggling a full-time job mm-hmm. along with studying in the evenings. And so for that first year, it was more about just time management and finding enough time to, um, to, to just be able to study. Uh, but then after that, when I got a feel for that, it was, I, it was more about just finishing the course. Um, and I think when I finished it, then I'm looking back at it, there was a lot that I actually really enjoyed that I didn't make time for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, if you enjoy learning, I think you really have to enjoy the journey. Um, and that's one of the, I think that's my key sort of advice. I mean, I came away with a bunch of really good friends from, from the course, mm-hmm. and we were all in it together, all studying together, but it was just being able to just take a step back and really appreciate the, that you're able to work full-time, part-time, whatever that might be, but also mm-hmm. obtain a master's in, in, in the space of two years. Just, yeah, really try and enjoy that, because once it's over, I think you get your free time back, but... At the same time, you might actually miss just that learning <laughs> process, as, mm-hmm. as difficult as that might be, and having exams at the end is, is, is also challenging. But if you enjoy learning, then really try and savour that as much as possible, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's, that's the thing that you end up missing the most once you graduate. I imagine that's probably the last thing that they're probably thinking that they'll miss. But Yeah, but you'd be surprised <laughs> once, once you get to the end of it, and, and yeah. Yeah, it might be something that you hadn't really thought about until it's, until it's over. Good advice. Well, thank you very much for talking through your experience. Um, If anybody has any questions about anything that we have discussed, then feel free to drop an email to talent at bbk.ac.uk and we hope you found that useful. Thank you. Thank you. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening to the Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 